This is episode 265 of That Shakespeare Life. Just like the work of William Shakespeare, That Shakespeare Life is supported by listeners just like you who sign up to be our patrons. You can help support our show, contribute directly to programming, and access over 150 additional episodes not available on public listening platforms when you join us as a patron at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare Life. Hi, I'm Tim van Andel. I'm a professor in ethnobotany in the Netherlands. Another great method for studying the life of William Shakespeare includes listening to this. It's that Shakespeare Life with my friend Cassidy Cash. It landed perfectly on her face, exactly in position. If we made it up, we would have put an eye or a mouth. It was perfectly in the centre of her face. Bang. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life with Cassidy Cash. Cassidy believes that if you desire to successfully learn or perform Shakespeare's plays, then understanding the real life and history of William Shakespeare himself is a must. That Shakespeare Life is the podcast that helps you go beyond the curtain of some of Shakespeare's most iconic works and explore the world of early modern England as Shakespeare would have lived it, learning from the writers, historians, and performers who know it best. And now, here's Cassidy. Ulysses Aldrovandi is considered by many scientists, including Carl Linnaeus, the man who formalized the modern system of naming animals, to be the father of natural history studies. During Shakespeare's lifetime until his death in 1605, Aldrovandi collected a vast amount of specimens for his cabinet of curiosities, gathering over 7,000 artifacts, organizing multiple expeditions to collect plants, and illustrating thousands of bizarre natural history phenomenon into at least 12 publications, some of which were compiled posthumously. Today, Aldrovandi's work is preserved at the University of Bologna. However, in 2020, one painting was discovered that claims to be a lost Aldrovandi painting of a young girl that suffered from hypertrichosis, a condition that covers the body in excess hair. We have talked about this girl, Antonetta Gonzalez, on our show previously. and that episode, we mentioned that paintings of the Gonzalez family were often copied and distributed around Europe for inclusion in cabinets of curiosities, like the one that Aldrovandi compiled in Italy. Today, our guest, Daniel Dawson Gordon of Norfolk Reclamation Center in England, is here to talk about one such painting that belonged to Ulysses Aldrovandi, who at the time was one of the highest ranking members of Italian society. Daniel is here to share about Aldrovandi's work, the painting of Antoinetta Gonzalez, and the story of how it was discovered beneath another famous painting that had been painted over of the original of Antoinetta. Daniel Dawson Gordon is the owner of Norfolk Antique and Reclamation Center, where he deals in a wide range of reclaimed materials from architectural structures to select fine objects. He is also the proprietor at the Britannia Handmade Brick Company that produces and sells traditional handmade bricks. Daniel has featured in a few antique programs on national television in the UK, and a full production of a four-episode series about Daniel's work is called The Antiques Yard and is featured on the channel More 4 in the UK. You can find links to Daniel's work, including his documentary, cataloging his journey of discovering this painting, all linked in the show notes for today's episode. Hello, Daniel. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life. Hey, doing? Nice to be here. 
Very excited to dive into the history of this painting. Tell us about Aldrovandi. Did he create the first natural history museum? Well, that's a bold statement. The first. Some people recognize as the first, but actually, was he the first? Probably not. I'm sure for that time, people have definitely had other museums and collections and curiosities like him, but he definitely was significant and was pre many of the ongoing famous collections were all inspired from him. What about his collection of the things that he gathered? Is that still available to view today? Do we still have some of the things he collected? His collection went to the state and it's held in Bologna, the museum, and he has over, maybe different from what's in some of the notes, but he has recognised as over 18,000 artefacts left, and that's separate to the 7,000 specimens of plants and botanicals that have been sort of dried, sealed in books and scripts. He was known to create the first botanical garden, that was in the in the government complex where the museum is now held. A lot of that collection is there to be seen. It's a fantastic museum. So what are some of the examples of the more remarkable objects that he has in his collection? I mean, this is a huge amount of artifacts that you've mentioned, 18,000. That's astounding for one man to have gathered. But tell us about some of the ones that are more famous. Well, the most famous part of the collection and not just alone is the specimens and artefacts themselves that are part of his collection, but also the array of books that he compiled and wrote and created. And within that collection, there is a, a grand library full of the works written by Aldrovandi. And I would say, for me personally, the, the greatest part of the collection I own, which is the painting, my painting, uh, not just because I have it, but truly was his, his favourite prized possession, that painting. But if we go to within the collection there, it would be a copy of the book that he wrote, which is in existence around the world, but it would be held within that collection there, is Monstrum Historia, which is a book of monsters that he, all anomalies of human disfigured people, and it's got a lot of mythological type cross-references with real ailments that were existing. But there's a few pages there dedicated to My Hairy Lady in the book. So that that book is, for the untrained person, is like, it's the book of monsters, you know. it's It's got a lot of uh, sort of greatness to it in that way. But that book would be up there as the top thing because that was famous and that book made, brought the story of the hairy girl out and... All, it, it showed you still the two different levels of how Aldrovandi worked, where he was still very part of that old era of thinking, a bit of fantasy, with, with new age understanding of science mixed. And that's the difference of Aldrovandi, where in the very recent years after Aldrovandi, he was considered very soon as old hat, as in, I don't know if that's what we talk in England or old hat, he was... He was too old school. And we're not thinking like that anymore. He had a bit of the new scientific knowledge, but he had a lot of the old ways too. So we're moving forward. And he got sort of forgotten that way. But that was wonderful, that benchmark of Aldrovandi, because it, it's sort of his half 
still got that old way of thinking. He's studying things scientifically and greatly and good points. But then he's sort of, you know, he's calling something a dragon. But it's so that book, Historia Monstrum, very important. I'm not very good with one word answers because I don't, you know, it's like, what's your favorite film of all time? Uh, your favorite book and your favorite Shakespeare poem. So Al Javandi also wrote the book on orphanology to this present day, that information, the chicken and the egg, I think is in there. I think he said that maybe the chicken come first, possibly, but a big grand book on orphanology he wrote. But the specific object in the collection, it would have been my painting, is recorded as his prized possession because his his collection was also in his home. And it's he had some things in his private villa for himself. It's recorded in his private viewing gallery within his home was these few handful of paintings, one of his wife, one of the Pope, and one of my hairy lady and her father separately. I think this one was regarded as his prized possession. You know, we could spin off the importance of the individual objects in there. What is the best one? You know, scientifically, the orphanology book would have been important for its scientific it ongoing through history. It's a very important book in history. And the, the Historia Monstrum, I would say, is one of the most fantastic pieces in there. But I don't know. I love everything on its own merits. I'm hard, I'm hard with favoritism. Well, now you've mentioned your painting, and I want to dive into the history of that specific artwork, because this was Aldrovandi's painting. And as you mentioned, it was something he highly valued as part of his collection. And it was a demonstration of one of the uh, monsters from his book. It was a picture of Antonietta Gonzalez. Now, was this painting commissioned for Aldrovandi? Or did he paint it himself? When we say it is his painting, did he collect it or did he actually paint it? Well, as great as Aldrovandi was, and this is why it's great, you can orchestrate rather than be the musician yourself. And to gather so much information, write so many books and everything that he did, he had people to help him and he had people go out and bring specimens to him, you know, and with he wasn't a painter and there's a lot of in-depth information on this when he first studied Antoinetta his close friend who was a family relative his second wife was related to her was the first female recognized master painter Lavinia Fontana Lavinia Fontana painted Antoinetta Gonzalez whilst Aldrovandi studied her and he would have been very familiar, and he was a friend of Lavinia Fontana, and a distant, uh, not even distant, but a close family relative, which has since been recognised in recent times. And that painting went to the Crown, and that's the famous painting now in the Blois, in the Chateau, Chateau de Blois in France. In all the years, that's been greatly admired. But Aldrovandi wanted his own painting. So when his friend and family relative painted this wonderful painting we will never know now the real we can come up with conclusions why she didn't then do a version for him but he wanted his own version and we know that because there's a letter in his collection and the letter within his collection written or wrote in 1596 says so we know it was painted then or before 
which then dates the Lavinia Fontana earlier than it was recognised as, because that letter proves that, because that would have been done first. This all new sort of rewriting the books a bit a bit more accurately with this new piece of information. But this letter notes that, um, hi, my lords, as promised, I got you this painting of the hairy girl painted for you by an equally talented young female artist from Milan. And we know equally talented or far greater. And of that time in Milan was the artist Fede Galizia. And before this painting was discovered, this letter was known and it was known this painting once existed. And it was also historically believed that Fede Galizia painted it. So back to the straight answer, Aldrovandi would have had talent to paint most likely, but he wasn't a painter. He was a collector and studier, and he had many artists do watercolours for all his books, illustrations, all around him. And that's why there's so many watercolours from his collection. And they would have all, it'd be lovely to know who were the individual artists. And I look at them and I'd love to think whether she did other ones for him. We'll know more one day, but we'll never know the bottom of all of it. But it was painted for him. So where was this painting when you found it? And what did it look like at first? When I found this painting was a antique dealer that I have a good relationship with. I buy direct for every option in the world you can possibly think of. But this antique dealer finds things and brings them to me and sells them to me. And he called me one day and said, Dan, I want to clear my whole house out just to get a load of cash money in. Blitz everything. And I really at the time didn't could do with not buying that much gear. But he's a friend of mine. I always like to feed him money with what he wants to sell, whether I always want it or not, because I get the pick of the bunch when the good things come up. So I bought all this stuff and it was five van loads. And he was on the last load to my house. He'd already been spending money and bought a painting from an auction that was from a, a... estate sale the last of a generation if the lady had died and it was it all went to probate and sold so no one would have known they're the best sales to buy from when no one know no one tells you what the things are so people are just interpreting whether they're worth money or not so this painting went to auction my friend bought it he turned up on the last load and i see it in his van sitting there under like a blanket and it was it's mysterious it was I could see the gold frame and I could see this dark picture in in the darkness and of, of Madonna Child. And I kept looking at it as I was unloading and I thought, I don't want to tease myself anymore and wait because if it comes up that it's not for sale, I'm just frustrating myself. So I just was like, right, Steph, can I buy that picture? He went, oh, not really. I want to, I want to take it home and enjoy it. And I went, to be honest, mate, I want to buy it. Just tell me how much you want for it. And I'm not saying why I knew I wanted it. I just wanted it. For some reason, I was I was so drawn to that picture. I could say lots of reasons, but there's no straight answer. And I felt a pull to that picture. You know, no sort of magic talk. It was just I just I just wanted that picture no matter what. For some reason, more than possibly, I I, I wanted to buy it, and I don't know why. And he said how much he wanted, and for. For whatever reason, I just was like, it's more than I'd ever paid for a painting. I just went, yep, I'll have it. And I was satisfied that I bought it and it was agreed and it was done. And I sat many nights with it and I got enough pictures of me laying with it over whiskey and 
just, you know, and then I even said there's a funny little square patch in here. It looks like someone's patched up in the middle of the picture. Did you know that? And he went, well, if, I'll give you money back if you want. And I was like, no, no, I'm happy with my purchase. I just asking. So it's definitely bought and it's mine. And well, what made you start investigating it? And at what point did you get suspicious that there might be another painting underneath the painting of the Madonna and child? Was it the square piece that you saw or? Well, to clarify, as I planted the seed there by accident, the square was not making me think there was something underneath it. The square, in my knowledge, looked like a patch in the picture that had been, it was quite pronounced. I could see a square. I had no indication there was something under the painting hidden, not even a bit or anything. But I did see a square in the centre of the, the picture that was a bit more pronounced. And so that was that. And I never thought, but there was still in my brain, I wanted to learn more about this picture. I'd messaged the top, a man I know, um, Sotheby's, said to me, I'll get the number one man on this straight away. And he got me an answer straight away. It's a famous copy of a Bernardini Luini and probably 18th century and low value. And whether monetary value or not, I lost no heart. This is a clear part of the story. I lost no heart in thinking there's something special about this painting. I didn't know what, whether it's worth a lot of money or something, but there was something special about this painting. And I did not know what, and I never stopped thinking that, and that never left me, uh, what anybody said. But I didn't know the answer, and I didn't know there was something hidden underneath it. But I will tell you, I thought it was something special. I didn't know what it was. So I've watched your your documentary on the painting, and we'll link to that in the show notes for today's episode. The documentary sort of begins with you loading it up and taking it into to X-ray it and see you know what's beneath the outside. And I'm wondering, how does that happen that you buy this beautiful painting that you enjoy and obviously you believe in it, but you have it examined and these art experts are telling you, you know, it's it's a very low value painting. How do you go from that advice to thinking, well, maybe we need to bring in an x-ray machine and look deeper and see what's underneath this? How did you how did you think that that was the next step to take? Yeah, well, that is a really good question. And the answer is even more peculiar is because months before. I had come up with the idea that with all the adventures we get up to in my business and yard and the things I buy and do and with some of the social media following we have, I said, let's make a documentary. I said, let's make a documentary. And some of my staff said, no, you can't do that. I said, come on, let's do it. And so I put some money aside and I booked in a cameraman and I bought a camera for him to use and we were starting a week ahead and my friend, he has an x-ray machine and he searches for kidney stones, mobile kidney stone. And he gets booked out in the hospitals. And I think once or twice over previous months, he'd gone, oh, one day, wouldn't it be good if we come over yours and x-ray like fossils? Cause I have fossils and old objects and this, that, and the other, maybe a painting and, and I took it as like, oh, that'd be fun, but just separate thinking on its own. And then I was trying to whip up in my head an idea to start off the filming of this TV show I want to make. And I thought, I'll ring Don up, get the x-ray over, and we'll x-ray some stuff, including this painting. But it was, there was other paintings, and there was other objects. 
So he said, yep, yeah, I'll be there. And that was the first day of filming that we did, right? And then we had it all in the room and was filming me talking about all the objects. And then I think on like the fifth or sixth painting that I'm talking about, I hold it and I go, it's not pre-edited in the wrong way. It's all completely real and true. I go, there is something special about this painting. And if we're going to find out about it, we're going to do it. Today's the day. And I hadn't even x-ray painted before. I'd never done it or, or thought. And then he said to me, well, Dan, if it's the best one, why don't we save it till last and do the others? I'm like, nah, we do this first. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going to we, figure this we, out like, right now. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what if like the batteries run out? You know, what if the machine blows <laughs> up? Like, you know, you know, we're doing it now. And he was like, all right, all right. So we're scanning it and all the excitement is still there. And then all we can see is just this whiteness and it's just like nothing. You're like, ah. Oh. And then he's like, maybe I should turn the settings down because you've got to think, well, it's just a canvas weave. It's not a big object. It's so, it is the lowest setting for all this powerful radiation. You're not going for a whole body. It's just going for a bit of paint into a, you know, it's just a very thin, delicate, gentle item. He adjusted it and it was, we were like, you, you see the footage, it's just like, what and it landed perfectly on her face exactly in position if we made it up we would have put an eye or a mouth it was perfectly in the center of her face bang and it was like what? it was like mental it's like can't believe it it's like it's like some sort of i don't know i just thought i don't know i was just thinking it was like some Leonardo da Vinci craziness. I was thinking to obscure. It was an obscure face. It reminded me obscure. It's like I, I thought it was a hairy monk at first because you know you don't think of hairy little girl. You think no, of- no. That's I mean that was a novelty in its time, and I think it's it's the last time I checked. There's like one in fifty people in the whole world that are impacted by this hypertrichosis, which is the the hairy face syndrome that she has there. So no, you wouldn't have. That was not where your mind would go immediately. After you x-rayed the painting and you you see, okay, there's something under the Madonna and child and we need to figure out what that is. What's the process of going from, okay, I've discovered this to identifying what you had found? Yeah, so it was looking through history and coming across hairy... We didn't know we had a hairy girl, but we come across the on the Google search a hairy painting by Lavinia Fontana and that's the famous one in the Bloy and then that has a big write-up about all Giovanni and the family and the story but then it talks about a famous drawing within all Giovanni's collection which is a full body of her because my picture has been trimmed down of a watercolor of a painting that once belonged to all Giovanni that's now been lost and it's the exact same everything because my painting and they're right there and then it's like that is the one ongoing a lot of research has been done and through story once you've got the evidence and this and the other there's so much stuff out there in the world that makes sense that you pull together to pull all the puzzle together you know 
That's amazing. And there you can watch Daniel's documentary for the process of finding and uncovering the history of this painting. And of course, see the painting in the documentary. We will link to this in the show notes for today's episode. Daniel, we're really excited about your discovery and especially finding a lost Aldrovande painting is very exciting. Where would you suggest we begin? If we're excited about learning more about Aldrovandi, about his painting, where should we start? What are some of your books or resources you can recommend we use to learn more? Well, there is an American lady, Mary Wisner Hanks, and she wrote a book on the marvellous Harry Girls. And that is about Antoinette Gonzalez and her sisters. And it then goes to all about her father and her mother and the full story of how Petrus came to be, to be this educated, hairy man that was once in a cage, owned by the Spanish crown, um, taken from Tenerife, ended up in Italy. And everything is on there. So that's a real great book overall. And that even talks about a lost painting, possibly Arfili Galizia, talks about the watercolour. And that book was prior to... But the real, the best book that you could get is we've got a 50-page essay on our painting wrote in Rome and all the scans and x-rays have been compiled and we're like two months away from it being published. I can't even tell you what the book's going to be called, but it will be about, it's only about this painting and its story. Napoleon would have had the painting at one point stolen. The journeys are just, it's a massive journey, this painting's had. It's been hidden for 400 years. I can't believe I found it. But what it's done for me is not just directly the painting, the journeys that I've been on since with other paintings, which this painting gave me an education. It sort of opened the door for me to help me reveal other paintings. And I have discovered other paintings, well, world class, like the biggest, like as big as this one is, I'm talking a uh, hundred times bigger, you know, that I'm working on at the moment, which no one knows about. So that's a little secret there. But we've 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 done it big time at the minute, and that I will promise. be coming we'll out. We'll only share the podcast around the world. So just a few people that'll hear. <laughs> Yeah, as long as you keep it to this world only. Okay, well, we can do that. So we'll place links to Daniel's website where you can follow this journey and definitely hear about the book about the Aldrovandi painting when it comes out. And I highly suggest you subscribe to his social pages so you can hear the rest of the secret of things of paintings that Daniel is busy uncovering over there at Norfolk Reclamation. Now, Daniel, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible. So your choice would be in addition to those. I've got the book here, I think. The books that I enjoy the most and that I don't need to take because I read them through and I know them, I don't really need. But this this book, you want to take a book that, that's not fully out read and it, it keeps giving to you. So this book I really do love. It is called The Pageant of the Century. Okay? And... It tells you of great events that happened between 1900 and 1930. It's got pictures and events of obscure ones that are so interesting that are not everyday known by everybody. And I've discovered so much interesting stuff I've learned about. There's a street up the road from me, and this talks about when the Germans dropped a bomb. The bomb went through every house down the whole street. 
And that's just one story. So each page holds a story of a man that invented something great and it didn't, it failed, or a liner that sunk, or a mental asylum that everybody died in and that none of them could get out. And it's a terrible story, but some of them get a lot of stories of hidden, have been hidden in time. And this book, so it's called The Pageant of the Century, but from 1900 to 1933, every page tells you at least one story of an event of the time when, you know, it's pre-World War II, but it talks a lot about the Great War, but they're all, it's just got great stories of something that was built, made, invented, bad happens, blown up, discovered. You know, it's got a, a train that was invented well, it's got a propeller on it. So the great exhibition, this whole city in London was built called White City. It was a big world's fair. There's so many stories in history that none of us know, but this, I'm like, what? These are not recognised stories, and they're great stories. With a great book that I buy, I always, if I see another one, buy another. And I think I own at least two of these books because for the right person, I always give them a book of what I own. But anyway, that's the book, Pageant of the Century. That sounds like an excellent selection. I think that book would keep you entertained on your deserted island for a good long while. And yes, I completely agree. History is one of the best places to uncover hidden stories that you never knew about. And once you know them, you're so glad to have discovered them. A lot like your painting. So what's next for you? What are you working on now that you're excited about? Well, I'm working on... It was actually soon after I found my Antoinette, I discovered this painting and it's been as long as that discovery. So I've been working on this other one for two years solid and every day, night and day. And it's completely conclusive of what it is. We've got, it's 500 years old. It's to do with the biggest artist of all time, but who was bigger and greater admired than Leonardo da Vinci. It's just Easily thought that Leonardo was the biggest artist and followed, but there was bigger and greater admired. That's on its final stages now, and that's that's got a great story. It's got a bigger provenance trail of any painting of 500 years old. It's very obscure. It's taken over my life, and that's why I say that Antoinette changed my life because I'm reliving that journey all again because I learned a lot from that journey, and it's opened the door for me. And I will be making a documentary for everybody to see on this painting. And it will be, I can only believe, be world news. And to have something like that, you can only sound crazy. So, Well, we are thrilled that you are letting us see a slice of it here on That Shakespeare Life. And we can't wait to follow along and see the big reveal of what you've discovered there. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about Aldrovandi and his painting that you uncovered. This was a fun conversation. I appreciate your time. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much. If you liked today's episode, be sure to let us know about it. Please drop us a comment and a rating on the platform you're listening from today. If you would like to see images of Aldrovandi and his paintings, especially this one of Antonieta Gonzalez, you can see all of these visuals that go along with today's audio packed into the show notes for today's episode. The show notes are where we put visual content that coordinates with the history you learn about on our show, along with more information about our guests, including direct links to the resources that we talk about in today's conversation. Find all of these things at CassidyCash.com slash episode 265. 
That's CassidyCash.com slash EP265. If you enjoy following along with us here each week and you want to hear even more interviews about what it was like to live in turn of the 17th century England the way Shakespeare would have lived it, then consider becoming a patron. There are over 150 additional episodes available in our back catalog, and you can listen to as many as you want from the patrons-only RSS feed. In addition to our back catalog, patrons who support the show are treated to behind-the-scenes extras, including sneak peeks at upcoming guests, special bonuses from our episodes that aren't shared on the public side of the episode, and you can even submit your own questions to be asked during an interview. There are bonus episodes recorded just for patrons and so much more. Explore all the benefits and join us as a patron today at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That's patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That Shakespeare life is researched and produced by me, Cassidy Cash. Our audio engineer is Gary Mayholm. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.